Welcome to the Higher Ed Demand Gen Podcast, helping higher education marketing leaders share knowledge about learning, strategies, and tactics that are relevant today. See what you can learn today by listening to one of our episodes. Welcome to the Higher Ed Demand Gen Podcast, hosted by Concept3D. On this podcast, we like to discuss topics on creating and capturing demand in higher ed. A little bit about Concept3D before we jump in. Concept3D helps bring your campus to life virtually. We have served the higher education community for over a decade with our award-winning interactive maps and virtual tours. Improve your campus communications, student engagement, and recruitment with our powerful location-based virtual solutions. My name is Shiro, and I will be your host today. Currently the Director of Demand Generation at Constant3D, and I'm speaking from my mountain home in uh, Silverthorne, Colorado, which is uh, an hour west of Denver. And today I am super, super excited to have Ray Lutzke join us today. Ray is a higher education leader with a plethora of experience in admissions, enrollment, and teaching. He is the VP of University Partnerships at Academic Partnerships and also an adjunct professor at NYU and USC. Ray, thanks for joining us today. It's my pleasure, Shiro. Thanks for having me. Uh, before we jump in, I'd love to know where you're joining us from today and if you want to start us off with one icebreaker fun fact. Sure thing. Happy to. Uh, really delighted to be with you from Hollywood, California, uh, where I'm enjoying a, a little bit of a, a cooler day from a heat wave we've been having. And uh, a fun fact about me is that, funny enough, I have a Hollywood connection. When I was 16, I was an extra in the movie Sleepers with uh, Kevin Bacon, Dustin Hoffman, and a an all-star cast. So I like to tell folks if they've been in anything with me, they're one degree of separation from Kevin Bacon. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. That is truly a fun fact. I love it. Great. Well, I know in our prior conversation, we talked about a lot of things, you know, some about video games, I believe, but others more about around how regional institutions can win against mega universities. And that topic was brought on around and how we're seeing shifting enrollment declines with at least non-traditional approaches. And I know your work with, um, currently with academic partnerships, you're really working on developing and growing online programs. Can you tell us a little bit more about how OPMs can help the regional institutions win against mega universities? And also for those that don't know what an OPM is. For sure, I'm happy to, Shiro. And let me just define also the mega universities we're talking about because those are the ones you you're go. seeing commercials for usually on cable big institutions, sometimes uh, from way out of state or uh, uh, private institutions that at one point in their lives may have been for-profit uh, coming in and, and really uh, swooping in and, and finding a lot of students. So what OPMs have done, online program managers, is work with institutions in lots of different kinds of ways to help them get their programs online to be competitive. And they do work with them in, in lots of different kinds of environments. Uh, for example, at Academic Partnerships, uh, we have teams of instructional designers, but we don't actually do any of the teaching of courses. That's entirely to the domain of the faculty, uh, just like the admission standards are important, uh, everything else. We, we can be there at the table to help them scale to meet demand. What does that mean? Well, uh, with enrollment coaches, with responding to uh, uh, prospective learners in a timely fashion, with success coaching to help learners find the right resources. Um, what we're good at at academic partnerships is affordable, workforce-relevant, uh, regional institutions uh, working with local employers. That's what we're good at. So 
uh, it really comes down to working with these smaller institutions and helping them be more competitive with these mega institutions, if you consider the enrollment. Uh, some other OPMs work with these large uh, kind of R1 Carnegie classification uh, research institutions. We're, we're much more focused on these uh, kind of regional public institutions and, and some faith-based teaching institutions really to make things affordable and workforce relevant. Um, and uh, I think you can see what happens when OPMs work with institutions in, in some of the ways that go uh, a bit deeper or further into the teaching. And some of your listeners may have seen that in the news. Uh, there's been some, some reporting about that recently. Got it. And are there ways that academic partnerships specifically works with schools? Like uh, what's their sweet spot and like what are the outcomes they're trying to get to? Sure Business thing. outcomes they're trying to get to. Sure. I think what we're best at is helping institutions to take business programs, healthcare programs, education programs at the graduate and undergraduate level and bring those to local employers and help them find opportunities for online learners to take advantage of those programs, perhaps in ways that they weren't able to with on-campus programs. Uh, we've seen great success uh, in the different institutions we've worked with, with MBA programs, with teaching degrees, with nursing degrees. So there is still significant workforce demand out there and we're helping institutions to reach it. Love that. And I know we're on the topic around how we help regional institutions against mega universities. Are there other things that you're seeing in the industry um, that can help regional institutions really win and increase their awareness and generate interest with, with smaller teams like they'll probably have, right? Uh, love to know some of your insights there. For sure. I mean, it, it does come down to being asked to do more with less. I think that's something that resonates with a lot of teams that are seeing cutbacks and what resources they have to do things like on-campus events. And virtual events is really a natural place that folks have moved post-pandemic. I know it's a little bit of a hackneyed phrase at this point, but certainly true that we've seen great adoption of virtual events, of virtual tours, of technologies that have been around for a long time, but have really been accelerated in their adoption. You've seen the same thing with online learning, kind of bringing it back to, to what I was saying earlier. I mean, these online students are different. They, they are a little more price sensitive. They want to get started right away. Um, they're interested in, in the campus, but they're interested in having sort of an asynchronous experience where they can go to the campus when they feel like it uh, and see things. Uh, they really are a different breed and reaching them virtually is uh, incredibly advantageous for an institution, particularly when you consider the modality of the education. So mm -hmm. I think you're seeing a lot of wide scale adoption of virtual modalities for visits, for interviews, um, and also in uh, lead response. So when uh, academic uh, uh, leaders or admission officers go about uh, looking at applications, they have to do that with an eye towards uh, professional experience now. They have to do that with an eye towards what is going on in industry for this individual. A and that is a really different paradigm when you talk about reaching that individual. It isn't necessarily a postcard mailed to their home anymore. It's a direct digital communication that reaches them in their place of work or at the right moment to get them to make that decision. So it's a fast paced world out there and recruitment has to change to meet that fast pace. And I love this topic of what you're talking about as personalization, right? And one-to-one -one communication. Are you seeing a connection with that with online programs as well? Like I don't, I don't this is an area I don't really know very, very well in, but you know, I'm assuming 
you know, in, in the traditional experience, at one point you get set up with an admissions counselor, you know, one-on-one -on -one communication. This is, you know, once you're already with in, in the school or uh, during enrollment, but are you seeing similar types of uh, personalization with online programs as, as well? A hundred percent. And I think, sure, to that point, uh, that's the way it's supposed to be. That very personalized approach is the way I think every admission officer would like to approach working with a prospective learner to help them find the right fit for themselves. Unfortunately, again, going back to that doing more with less, folks don't have the time to offer that personalized mm -hmm. attention. So what technology tools are allowing uh, these individuals to do is to scale to meet demand the same way academic partners or academic partnerships rather would help uh, an institution to, to do that. So I think that what we are looking at is a one-to-many approach rather than a one-to-one -one approach. What does that mean? That means using like a, a CRM, uh, and you can pick any number of them out there in the space for uh, enrollment professionals, as a way to do that personalized enrollment coaching and that personalized success coaching in a way that is just in time and also approaches the learner where they are. And it isn't a very blanket email or a, a very sort of you do it yourself approach for the student uh, that often doesn't work and ends up confusing the student and uh, impeding their success. That follow up that can be provided by a CRM allowing an individual to be reminded, oh, I'm supposed to follow up with 12 students this week to make sure they're progressing. That can be extremely valuable, not just for, for the professional, but for the student's success. Gotcha. That, that really helps. Thank you. I'm also wondering, so this is just the thought that came up in my head is, are there certain misconceptions or uh, misunderstandings when a school is first adopting an online program? Like, you know, do they value the students equally that are learning uh, through online means versus in-person needs? Like, what are some like common trends you're seeing there? Sure. And that's an interesting point. I think that, as I said earlier, online students are different and they have different needs. Uh, first of all, they need more than three starts a year. <laughs> I think most traditional programs have a very limited window for when a learner can begin a program. Many mm -hmm. online students, particularly those looking at asynchronous programs, want to get started right away. So starting as many times per year is a great way to, to help those learners. Um, also, the, the cost of attendance. You know, if you think about the quote unquote traditional undergraduate learner, in many cases, they have received external sources of funding, uh, parents, guardians. Uh, for many of these working professionals who are pursuing online degrees, they have no such support. And in some cases are supporting their own families or their mortgage or any other expenses they have at middle life. So at that point, the cost of attendance becomes even more important and giving them an ROI on that cost of attendance as well. It has to be directly job relevant, job related, which again is why I was talking about education, nursing, business, fields where we know there's incredible demand for uh, employers to find employees who have the right qualifications. Gotcha. I love that you mentioned ROI as well, or focusing on outcomes. You know, what, where do you believe all this should be emphasized? And like, why do you think it's so important for institutions to do this? <laughs> well, that's another great question, Cheryl. I, you know, I, I tend to, as a former enrollment professional and now somebody on the corporate side, just as a matter of course, focus on return on investment as a key performance indicator. That's because in a lot of cases, the recruitment process requires spending significant amounts of resources, both time of individuals and treasure uh, budgets for uh, great products that can help reach learners in different ways. So 
being able to justify those expenses is critical as an enrollment professional. But even more so when we look at the value of a degree and we look at the costs of uh, in being involved in that degree program and persisting through to completing a degree, and in some cases even licensure post-degree, uh, the workforce demands on uh, these online learners are, are moving enrollment in key areas, particularly graduate programs, and institutions that can create that ROI are seeing record online enrollment numbers for working professionals. So uh, as the value of a degree is even questioned out there in the zeitgeist and folks are saying, well, what is the value of the liberal arts? Uh, and as a humanities graduate, and what is the value of the humanities? It, it bothers me when I hear that, but I can understand why, because the ROI is not as obvious as it is for engineering or nursing or even teaching. Gotcha. And one thing I'm really hearing a lot is you know, you know, the focus from not just education as their primary ROI uh, message, but also like, you know, focusing more on the outcomes that you're speaking to is not, you know, we're prov providing education versus we're providing the stepping stones to a career or uh, to a life goal. And, you know, that's one thing I'm hearing throughout my other guests on the podcast as well. A hundred percent sure. It's meeting the learners where they are today. I mean, it doesn't mean that you have to have one or the other. Institutions can have both. But what they need to recognize is that they can't be carbon copies. Sometimes the things that come with an on-campus experience are not as attractive to a learner who's in an online modality and vice versa. And the cost of attendance might need to reflect that, especially if the ROI for the degrees is different. I'm not going to say that because I know a lot of your listeners are at institutions where the cost of attendance is the same regardless. But I think uh, the cost of attendance is something that uh, really is being looked at closely by a lot of folks who are concerned about the return on investment for degrees. Gotcha. Also, now we're talking about costs and pricing. Does Do OPMs usually help set up pricing as well? Is that something that's usually part of their structure? Absolutely, it is. And I think that there are a lot of different ways OPMs do that. I think one of the common ways is in a model where they don't make money until the institution makes money. So that's what would be called sort of a revenue share model where the OPM would absorb all of the upfront costs, take on the costs of helping the institution get those programs online, the upfront millions of dollars in outreach, digital outreach for prospective learners. And then once learners actually enroll and are persisting through programs, then the OPM is, is actually getting a, a portion of the tuition. In some other cases, I know OPMs are working and we are also working with institutions to do something in sort of a fee-for-service model where we're offering a menu of options to a prospective partner and saying, do you need help with instructional design? Do you need help with workforce outreach? And offering those services sort of a la carte. Um, that's something that we offer every institution, but it is not as cost effective as the first part where really the OPM is absorbing all the risk and the institution can sit back and wait for the OPM to bring them qualified learners. Got it. Thank you. Thanks for all that detail. I like that. Um, my pleasure. I, before I talk into you, Red, I didn't know anything about partners like OPM, so it's been a learning process for me. I was wondering, you know, where our listeners could reach out to you to learn more, whether it's about academic partnerships or about just connecting with you. For sure. And I'd be delighted to uh, be connected with any of your listeners. They can reach me on LinkedIn. I'm available just uh, linkedin.com slash in slash Lutsky. You can also go to my website, raylutsky.com and get in touch with me there. Awesome. Thank you again for joining us today and to our listeners as well.
and please join us in the next one.